Hey, Jordan. How's it going? Happy New Year. Hey, Rob. Happy New Year. It's good to be back. It's good to be back in the office. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's nice. Gang's all here. I know we've been kind of incommunicado lately. I did want to know, though, how was how was January 6th for you? I know it's a really tough day. Everyone's processing the the pain of that day differently, so I was just wondering how that worked out for you. A very solemn day, indeed, mm. for me, Rob. Yeah. Uh, you know, reflecting on last year's events. But I was uh, inspired by some of the work we we did, uh, some of our uh, advisory work. I saw yes. uh, Dem, Dem Paying dividends took our, took our ideas. Yeah, wasn't that nice? Yeah, I was really... It's always really a fulfilling feeling when you see these thing, kind of things come together. So when we were able to get, you know, the whole... The whole uh, the scene with Dick and Liz Cheney um, there, like kind of with the with the Democrats, kind of showing that kind of bipartisan unity. I know that that made me feel really good when we made that go ahead. I know connecting connecting Nancy Pelosi with Lin Manuel Miranda and getting doing the whole Hamilton tribute. Um, I personally, I spent the day just sitting in a dark room. I turned off all my devices. I just I couldn't you know it, it just couldn't process. The images of like um, you know people with their feet on Nancy Pelosi's desk and stuff and 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 I didn't really you know I just didn't want to think about it it was too much so I just I turned off the TV turned off the phone I just sat sat in a dark room while that was playing out I'm sure the reaction was really great to it though I didn't I didn't really look into it I'm sure it was I'm sure everyone really enjoyed it though so I'm happy we were a part of that right I think across the board people loved it because when you yeah. have a moment like that. When you have Democrats lining up to individually shake Dick Cheney's hand, not only does it say this country is united in defending democracy, it sends a signal to the world that Dick Cheney and the United States respect and observe the sanctity and autonomy of independent free elections. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, I didn't always agree with them. You know this. You know, Mm -hmm. we, we butted heads. I did not always agree with the things that he that he did and that he said, but I think that's the kind of like uh, trustworthy, honorable Republican leadership that we need to support. And I know I know all of America and the rest of the world really appreciated that we reached a hand across the aisle uh, and made that happen. I know I saw I saw some critical comments uh, when I did check in on our on our on our Twitter feed of a few trolls were uh, you know indicating that this was something that was you know maybe we should be. Uh, leery of that we shouldn't be supporting this kind of thing and hey like I, you know if they if these folks if these online trolls have a better way of reaching out to moderate republicans i would love to hear about it but you know the, the people I just have, want to tear us down you know i i have an idea okay let's okay. hear let's hear so write this down now and i'll immediately put it into an email let's send it over to dem leadership but yeah. i think i have the solution what if joe biden and dick cheney did a TikTok together. Oh my God. Mr. High Roller himself, Mr. High Roller, jet flying, kiss stealing, wheeling dealing, 
Jordan, oh Jordan Yule has, oh, has graced us, has graced us with his presence here. Very uh-huh. thankful we can finally get back to work here doing the creating this content. <laughs> I've been toiling away, working class, salt of the earth, toiling away in the content mines this whole this whole time. Well, you've been uh-huh. you've been flying all over the place and all these kinds of extravagant extravagant meals and hotels. Uh-huh. I don't know what is what's going on. Yeah, I'm happy that we're able to get back to to doing this though. Finally, Jeez. that's so funny. Yeah, <laughs> if if only <laughs> I'm back. I went on. This was my first vacation in, I think, eight years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, you know, working in nonprofits, does, uh, only nonprofits, does not really uh, create, <laughs> create an environment where you can, uh, you know, vacation often and uh for a while i was also in grad school while going to work so i found it uh extremely funny that uh you know higher ups at like google and walmart were like popping off about <laughs> taking uh again my first vacation in did it go uh, that far because I, I, I saw that people were very upset with you people got very yeah. upset with some of your your critical tweets of joe biden I thought it was just like kind of a K hive thing. You're saying it was more it was more serious people than that. I didn't I didn't see the, I will, the extent I don't, to it, the, what it got. I I will not say these are serious people. I'm just saying that's <laughs> those are the occupations of some of the people that were like really leading the charge. And I thought that wow. was extremely funny. You're being canceled. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I've told you before. Like, so this is my well for people who don't have the background. Uh, the last month. I went on like a backpacking trip with my partner to Europe, and that's something that I've never left the country before this. Um, not a big vacationing family; like we couldn't afford it uh, growing up. And then after college, I was like not able to afford it because, again, nonprofits don't pay well. And then I was in grad school, and I now I'm finally finished. And it's like okay, I've got a little bit saved up from literally not doing anything for two years because of the pandemic, and booked it last summer uh at a time also for the for the preemptively shut down people that are still mad and hate listening to this at a time when it did kind of seem like yeah i thought it was things were sort of returning to a a certain sense of normalcy yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and uh you know left early december kind of like at the onset of omicron got a little got a euro rail pass what lets you kind of like take the trains throughout europe and then just cheap airbnb they have those kind of yeah yeah um (laughs) But the, I think the, 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 the posts that really upset people, and this is like the people that got upset were not initially upset about the vacation because I was like posting pictures throughout the month, right? Yeah. And then the CDC announced they were going to cut the isolation time for uh, infected but asymptomatic people, isolation time in half to five days. And for context, today we're seeing a study out of Japan that shows that uh, peak... Um, contagious period for people who are infected with omicron is day like three to six so not good and we just saw a hospital in rhode island get overrun uh and see an outbreak among people in the hospital because they had ordered people in accordance with cdc guidelines to come back to work after five days so not good and because i criticized that or kind of like made a joke about it uh k-hive people uh 
declare that I was a, a one percenter, flaunting my wealth uh, because I ate a. Uh, uh, no, I had a steak. I posted a picture of a steak that I split with my partner, <laughs> <laughs> and and a and a bowl of pasta uh, that cost twenty euro that I also split with my partner, <laughs> and people fucking flipped out. It was it was so funny. Um, it was it was really really good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, again, I'd never left the country before. That was like again the first vacation I took in like eight years. It was really really cool to see just a different part of the world. I was in some a lot of a lot of walking a lot of cool walking tours saw some museums and also like i think and there were people who like i do know and do respect that were like oh well, it was like traveling with covid i mean it was like easy it was great i mean everyone there wears kn95 masks like everybody and it's mandatory in most places you get your temperature scanned all over the place to go into places they check your vaccine which there is like a makes sense like a passport basically yeah. you get a qr code um, there's testing available everywhere. So we got tested like all over the place, um, just to make sure we weren't like picking it up and spreading it. And because everyone's masked, because everyone is careful and because testing is readily available and easily available and in some places completely free, like it was totally safe. So, huh? What a concept. Cool. I know. Right. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was going to say like being in Quebec, I have some of that, like we have the vaccine passports here, but it's also been like a, a, I think a real struggle in a number of other ways because we're seeing soaring cases here as well. And we're seeing this kind of weird response to it that doesn't really seem to be aimed at stopping the virus. Like right now, it's actually illegal for me to go outside after 10 p.m. I would literally be arrested or fined for leaving my house. Meanwhile, you know, the fucking gap is still open here in Quebec. So it's still a little it's of a weird disjointed response, but I do feel a little bit more comfortable here just because of the efforts that the government has taken to ensure that everyone's vaccinated. Um it's the same thing. But um yeah, that's it's interesting to hear about that though. How was the steak by the way? It seemed good. It's it, people started dunking on that as well, but was that all right? Was that all right for yeah. you? I mean like I didn't like go there thinking like oh i'm gonna have these like crazy meals because i'm not i don't know like i want to try like kind of the local cuisine when i go places and like when we got to italy which is the end of our trip uh stuff there's really cheap i don't know if you've been there but like food there is really cheap you get like a bowl of pasta for like seven euro eight euro you get a pizza for like nine euro and then when we we were in florence like our tour guide was like oh while you're here you you should try a florentine steak that's like the staple here it's like a big it's a big beef and like just cattle city <laughs> like there's like it was like you know a ton of tanneries and you know there's a ton of like leather goods everywhere and it's a byproduct of that or maybe that's the byproduct of it being a big steak city like every restaurant had like florentine steak so my partner and i split one because they're like way too big for one person to eat and I thought it was good. I'm not a big red meat person in general. I just mostly just eat like chicken and rice at home. So like that was pretty good. Uh, and like I thought like because people were so mad, like the attacks <laughs> just like continued to devolve. And like I was sending you some of the tweets that were just really killing me. Someone was like, that steak looks awful. Yeah. <laughs> <Just yeah>. like, <laughs> Well, it it wasn't. Like, it, was, yeah. it was good. But just like, quite tasty. that's cool. That's probably the, the last time I'll have steak, you know, yeah. for like a year or two. It's whatever. <laughs> it's insane. One, one other thing, like I said, like the one percenter thing, like people were like talking about flaunting extreme 
wealth and it's just like i had mentioned to you like i that's funny um certainly looking at like my my student loan debt and my bank account and my paycheck it's like that's that's a funny accusation but i can assure you that the one percent is not staying in like twenty dollar <laughs> 20 euro airbnb yeah yeah generally they have a higher <laughs> yeah they're staying at like the, the four seasons or some four-star yeah. hotel yeah well i'm happy you had a good time i, I the pictures were looked really cool um uh, you were, you, I saw your pictures of Prague, Italy, the the whole New Year's thing, or at the foot of the Matterhorn. Like it was pretty, pretty incredible stuff. And considering like the state that America's in right now, I imagine psychologically it must have been nice to have a couple of weeks to take this kind of stuff in before getting back into the fucking grind, back in the swamp, yeah. Washington D.C. Yeah, so I'm well, glad that I, that worked out. People were freaking out, like, why would you travel during a pandemic? It's, it's literally safer there. Yeah. Like I am more at risk of catching COVID just by going to the store here in the states because people don't wear KN95 masks here because so many people wear cloth masks and those are like forbidden for the most part in Europe. Like it's more dangerous for me to be in the states. Like what the fuck are you talking about? Uh, it's yeah. weird. It, like then the second we got back, we get like hurdle like hur- like h- pushed into this huge like uh, transport car at the airport to go from one terminal to another. And, like, if there was any point throughout the entire trip that I was going to catch it, it's in that thing. Because you have all these people <laughs> yeah. flying from all over the place in the States with cloth masks. Like, that's... It's it's extremely dangerous here. Yeah. Well, and, like, seeing the, seeing the reaction to your, like, fairly mild <laughs> tweets and criticism of the Biden administration, I mean, it just... To me, it just speaks to something that's kind of, like, a little bit of a broader issue here. It wasn't just about your specific tweet. But there's this like this sort of class of uh, liberals who are sort of like really part of this liberal media scene. That's where they get all their kind of marching orders from, Uh, you know, they're devoted CNN and MSNBC watchers. They're really like devoted supporters of the administration. They with the Saki bombs and they're they're talking about the Saki side eye and whatever else. What other meme is going around in this world at the time? And it's been this year-long process of all the great things that we were told over and over was going to be accomplished by the Joe Biden administration, whether it was their big and bold, ambitious climate agenda, the all the various uh, sort of social democratic programs that were kind of they were going to be put in place or kept in place longer, reducing childhood poverty and all these things. Like we were told over and over, all these amazing, incredible things that the Joe Biden administration was going to do, and this, slowly over the course of this year, that all of that's just been whittled away to basically almost less than nothing. You have one infrastructure bill, which was basically done to like get literally just to give Republicans a win or to get them on board with something. The whole centerpiece of their agenda, the Build Back Better agenda that they literally campaigned on and built their whole campaign around has just gone, it's basically been taken away from the table at this point. All their big pushes toward voting rights and all these ambitious things that they talked about endlessly are just not happening. Which, coincidentally, is something that every single like random shitty online leftist has been saying from this entire time, like the not just not just me and you, but like all the random like Stalin lover sixty nine accounts on Twitter who said a year ago none of this stuff is going to happen. It's going to be a failure. Um, it was very easy to predict, and all of this stuff is coming true exactly the way the people said it was going to. And I feel like these sort of liberals who are really tuned into these uh, tuned into this liberal media establishment are really part of these circles. Know that they know that deep down, and they just can't really admit it. 
And so when anyone, whether it's you or me or anyone, points out these deficiencies, these glaring deficiencies between what they talked about and what is actually happening. Like Joe Biden, when they were talking about coronavirus, like, what's your plan? My plan is to shut down the virus, Jack. You know, that Mm. was the whole, that was what he campaigned on. And the idea that like it was somehow unacceptable that hundreds of thousands of people had died under Donald Trump and a sign of like a failed presidency. Meanwhile, now the same or more people have now died under Joe Biden. And they're kind of trying to sweep that under the rug. And the people that were attacking you, they all realize this intrinsically. But they, instead of rather than admitting that they were wrong about this or possibly just actually trying to ask critical questions about the Democratic Party establishment that they've put so much of their like lives and identities into, um, rather than asking critical questions about why this stuff is going on and what their actual values and priorities are, it's much easier for them to kind of play the blame game you blame this, this the scapegoats of the month whether it's my mansion or cinema you blame jordan yule on twitter for like being mean to the Biden administration and because that's much easier than confronting the reality that like the the administration that they've poured so much time and effort and energy into and that they form these big identities around has been a complete failure you know it's easy it's easier to make fun of you for being the one percent than to actually admit that to yourself and i think that's that's what we're seeing when we see the backlash like that yeah i mean it's people who have this weird parasocial relationship with the party and the party apparatus and people in power i i don't get it i really don't get it um because you could look you could look at how the united states is handling it now and you can look at things that are within the biden administration's like control there is no clear unified guidance on using kn95 masks the quote free testing like the free instant testing rapid at home testing rollout has been a disaster from the limited uh, drop-off spots like i don't know if you saw in chicago there's like in some areas of the city there's only three boxes in like an entire wide swath of chicago to drop off the uh tests and at a fedex box and they were completely overrun uh people are saying their results are taking like a week to get back to them to again cutting down this isolation time when research is showing that's not the best course of action but the thing what really bothered me about that that rollout and i what i tried to point out was that within the within those comments fauci said like we have to keep society going like he was explicitly saying like this is to keep businesses open to keep things moving like that that should not trump public health like that's i don't care but the thing is like they need a strong economy to run on because like you say they haven't done anything and they're probably not going to be able to do anything and that's why just look around at democrats on tv appearances and their social media posts whatever and their comments it they're always stressing the strong robust economy as millions of people quit their jobs as you know like <laughs> this is great resignation and inflation is wiping out any type of cola adjustment you know things like that yeah, and they'll say shit like, "Oh, it's like it's the it's the lowest number of of unemployment claims that we've had in years." And it's like, well, that will happen when you take away people's ability yeah, to file these claims. And, you literally you cut them cut off. For off that exact reason. Yeah, it's it's like Clinton era economics. They cut off uh, unemployment assistance for people who are struggling to find work during the pandemic. And as these benefits expire, they keep touting these lower and lower unemployment rates. That's like it's totally artificial. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And that's that's what I mean. It's like when people, I think, lash out in that way, it's it's a way to just avoid confronting that in any in any serious way, because it's much easier to just be like, well, you know, uh, they tried. They wanted to do these things. But that that gosh darn Joe Manchin just said no. And there's just absolutely nothing the president of the United States can do to to overcome that. 
um, and they're already kind of getting out front. They, like we talked about in the last episode with Ken, like people within the Democratic Party know full well what's about to happen in the coming like election cycle. They all know, and you already have folks like the people that were attacking you um, getting out front of it, not, uh, preemptively blaming like people that are on the left for not voting for this in this election that hasn't happened yet. Um, they all know what's going to happen. And but like I said, it's it's easier to lash out than to actually like ask yourself critical questions about this party that you support unquestionably. But uh, yeah. I hope I hope that uh, getting dogpiled and getting canceled didn't didn't uh, make too much of an impact in your in your vacation because that was uh, oh, it seemed God, otherwise no. it seemed pretty good. <laughs> Not at all. I mean, I was I got to see things that I've always wanted to see. It was in a place that I never thought I would be able to go. Um, and maybe when you have a much more comfortable job, say at a at a Google or at a Walmart, those things might not be uh, <laughs> sure. as valuable or important to you, but that that meant yeah. everything to me. So I these are the salt of the earth working class types that are yeah, out there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you want to just introduce our guest? We got a pretty good guest. The first episode of the year, actually, it's quite exciting. Pretty good guest. Once you uh, once you set it up for everybody. Yeah, our guest today is Matt Negrin, uh, internet funny man, host of Hardball. <laughs> yeah. um, someone who I. Uh, I really uh, appreciate and admire, and uh, a good voice on media criticism. A little cynical, very funny, um, but he's got a level head. And yeah. his, we're never his... cynical here, so this was a big change too. Yeah. So <laughs> we're always very positive. We're always very positive with this stuff. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. So a little change, of course, here. Maybe new year, new us. No, yeah. but Matt's Matt's great, <laughs> and he's uh, he's really good. It's kind of skewering. Uh, how the media loves to both sides everything even on critical uh, dem- uh, d- democracy issues or existential threats etc he's awesome we had, a, yeah. we had a great conversation with him too yeah it was good and uh, so of course like the anniversary of the of the Capitol riots was a few days ago and I think this is something that like since it happened on this show every time we've talked about it, we've tried to have a little bit of nuance about it while while taking it seriously and not just hand waving it away as being a big joke and kind of an ominous sign of things to come while also like laughing at the sillier aspects of it and laughing at the sort of like very hysterical liberal reaction to it. I think that's been something we've attempted to do on this show. We attempted to do it in this conversation as well. I think successfully, very good conversation. Folks, before we get to Matt, I have to remind you, we don't talk about this very much, but as Jordan was saying, you know, we're, we're not the 1%. And I probably don't point this out often enough. It's always been kind of awkward to talk about, but you can, in fact, subscribe to the show. Many people do, and many people enjoy this. You do get bonus content. Um, there's a number of other perks that you can get from subscribing to the show. I probably, I'm being a bad host and producer by never mentioning this. I always neglect to mention this, um, but it is true. So if you do like this program, folks, just brief reminder, please subscribe over on Substack. Um, you probably noticed that we had to just kind of out of necessity start scaling back on the content that we do with this show. We started off doing two episodes a week and just because of the 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 financial aspects of it and the time management aspects we've had to kind of scale that back we would like to get to a point where we start doing two episodes again but uh to do that we do need people to subscribe to the show so if you enjoy the insurgents we try not to bug you about this stuff too much but please subscribe for five bucks a month over on substack um i see all the other substacks that are just relentless about reminding people about this and i always tell myself like god we really need to tell people sometimes yeah, that we never do <laughs> I, know. I don't know i don't know why i don't know why we don't do that um yeah. 
this has been the thing with Twitch for me. So once you get used to doing Twitch, you just get used to just like telling people to give you money. It just becomes part of the part of the natural cadence. Um, so I want to remind people briefly, if you enjoy the show and you'd like to hear more Insurgents episodes, you can, but, uh, if you're not subscribed, we do encourage you to subscribe over on substack.com. And it, it'll, if, if more people do subscribe, we will be able to sort of expand the scope of the show and what we're trying to do. Um, and we got a lot of good stuff planned for the new year. I'm excited about it. And, uh, I just wanted to remind people that they can, in fact, give us money if they want to. Yeah. And Rob will come to your house and cook you dinner. If you subscribe, That's that right. is a verbal contract, totally enforceable. Yeah. So please That's take a binding by law. That's right. We can my classic poutines. Oh, Quebecois nice. delicacy. Yeah, that's Everyone right. loves it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's get to Matt Negrin. Again, we really enjoyed having Matt come on the show. It was fun to talk to him. I think you're going to enjoy it. He's going to be joining the program right after this. Let the scripted banter begin. Yes. So I, while we were dealing with the technical difficulties, Rob, uh, Matt and I uh, used that time to kind of shit on you for being a, a dad. Okay. Or, uh, <laughs> deciding, yep. uh, you know, uh, well, not deciding, we just declared that being a parent must suck unless <laughs> your kid's a gamer. And then I yeah. think the optimal like way forward and the optimal uh parenting move is just to have them grind your battle pass for you since they're not paying rent <laughs> yeah it's it's yeah. like a requirement for them because they're there so you might as well get them in and like i'm not talking about like mario kart like little kid games i'm talking like ghost of yeah. tsushima multiplayer mode like get like throw <laughs> them those in side the missions deep end yeah exactly oh i gotta i can't be doing that stuff gotta help masako to track down her family's killers like what the hell like nine <laughs> episodes of that yeah yeah sorry you well, just don't get your I'm allowance this week unless you finish all yeah. of my side quests <laughs> yeah i'm trying to train him on this stuff but he's only six and so far he can't great he can't get the keyboard and mouse thing and i'm like what's you gotta get better that is actually that is sad because when i was six i was like really going hard into like role-playing games so i feel like they're behind the curve also like mavis beacon starts teaching you when you're like four so there there should be a mavis beacon for games that's just like here's wind (laughs) elemental and here's what it's weak against like just learn that shit Could I you really failed like as a, a parent here. I really feel inadequate at the moment. <laughs> like, this is like the the things that I say that's like, oh, this person's not ready to be a parent at all. <laughs> they have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's certainly easy right now. I just started doing like distance learning for like, um, you know, here we've been able to kind of avoid that. And he was able to go to daycare for the last, uh, the, the early stages of the pandemic. It was still being done in a pretty safe way. He's been in, he just started kindergarten this year. Uh, and he's been in school throughout this year, but now because of this latest surge on these restrictions that's that's come into effect over the last couple of weeks, he's trying to do like do like kindergarten distance learning, and that's a lot of fun. That's a lot of. It's actually it's an amazing experiment in that it's almost impressive how they've come up with something that everyone hates, everyone involved in the whole process, <laughs> kids, teachers, parents, every single you, person involved. How do you play? How do you like build blocks with someone else? Like, what if they want to build their own? <laughs> like structure well that's that's just the problem yeah it's it's basically like a moment by moment uh process to try and make sure he's like keeping engaged with what's going on he wants to go and get his like werewolf costume and mask and put it on i'm just like okay i understand that you want to show the camera 
your werewolf costume, but we got to do other stuff right now. Let me get this straight. You're saying that you're saying you're saying that a group of uh, immature, not fully developed brain wise uh, individuals have their own agenda and aren't working together. Wow. If only there were some sort of comparable body that I could draw (laughs) uh, a link to. Nothing comes to mind. (laughs) This is why Matt's this is why Matt is an A-lister. The the expert Mm -hmm. segue. Expert (laughs) segue. He's a pro. (laughs) That's why we're here to talk about. We're talking about the uh, House Committee on uh, Fish Licenses today, and that's what I really (laughs) was going for with that. Uh, But Matt, we ask everyone when we start these conversations the same uh, hardball question, just so we know who we're dealing with. You can't. You can't actually say hardball without paying. Is that trademark? Yeah, you can't. Yeah, that's his personal. That's his IP. Yes. Sorry. You You can say respect IP on this program. (laughs) Right down the middle. We're asking (laughs) this question right down the middle. Yeah, you can ask me right down the middle questions. <laughs> uh, we've asked everybody who comes on the show, and so now it's your turn. And, and we've kind of got a hint of what your answer is going to be. But Matt, are you a gamer? I'm a big gamer. Um, <laughs> I'm not a WoW person. I'm not a like. I'm not MMORPG. I am a tabletop RPG. I am a Final Fantasy RPG. I am a Tetris Effect person. I am a Beat Saber person. Um, so yes, I'm definitely a gamer, very much into role-playing, uh, and leveling up and, you know, rise and grind really applies to me. The first thing I do when I get up (laughs) is like log, log into my, to my PlayStation and just do three hours of low level battles to get myself like equipped and get all the items and everything. So yeah. Yeah. Well, we endorse the Sigma grind set here and that's part of it. So. <laughs> I feel like I could be, uh, and, and obviously I don't want to denigrate anyone's military service, but I feel like I could be a troop just based on my commitment to grinding. Like the, the yeah, amount I of, think it counts. you know, it's it the counts, same yeah. thing. Yeah, for sure. And I don't even play that's... like call of duty. I, I just like, I'm pretty into like the fantasy stuff, but like, it can't be that different, right? Like slaying no, think... Valkyries is like, that's tough. God of war. Come on. Like, that's real military stuff. It's probably tougher than military stuff. I think we can all agree. Those, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, and like and like uh, Nate Silver was pointing out this week. I was just talking about my doing the distance learning stuff. I'm basically a veteran too at this point. Right. Yeah. More or less the same thing. So God. we're all we're Thank all you. heroes. Listen, we're all heroes, and we don't need to get into the who and well, how yeah. and why and what yeah. everyone did. See, we don't need to we don't need to call ourselves heroes. But if the three of us call each other heroes, then it's yeah. fi- it's selfless. That and works it's good. Yeah. And if I get the odd discount or someone like a better seating on planes and stuff, I mean, I'm not going to say no either you walk into an airport and you're like um i uh, i'm a diablo 2 vet can i uh can i get boarding group two <laughs> um uh you know you, you mentioned tabletop rpg and i've talked about this a couple times uh on this show and elsewhere I've, I've never played dungeons and dragons and i've always wanted to but i don't okay. know like my friends don't play and i recently asked carlos if i could like put together a game uh on a show carlos I, I, carlos I who Carlos who? Maza. Carlos is my DM. Do you know that? I know he loves it. Yeah, that's why I asked him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Do you are you like trying to angle in? Is this a is this not a was this, <laughs> this a is con? why we invited you what on? What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I literally was talking to him today about because uh, we have to delay our session today because one one person in it has COVID, obviously, because everyone has COVID. So we're waiting till next week. But I was talking to him about um 
uh, doing okay. So like I'm a DM in another group. This is actually a, an appropriate thing to talk about. So I have a group of friends in Philadelphia who wanted to play D and D. Like two of them have played it, three of them have not. So I was like, you know what? I want to try my hand at being a DM. And I was like, what can I do that's Philadelphia based? What would be fun? So I decided to do D and D 1776. So it's the founding of America, <laughs> and it's like an alternate timeline where like they can decide uh, how they want to like try to infiltrate like the constant constitutional congress and stuff and it is so exciting because like they're obviously all you know now in 20 uh 2021 they're like anti-slavery so they, they have these ideals and they're running right up against this like economic reality that's like how are you going to convince these people to not be slavers? <laughs> like it's the economy of America. So it's like kind of all about diplomacy and whatever. And it is some of the most fun I've ever had playing a game because it's like, I just listened to American history and uh, like a lot of, um, there's a really good podcast that's all about black history. That's been like overlooked that we don't learn about in schools. And so and like native Americans and like Canadians, uh, indigenous Canadians, like all of these things that I never learned about. So my research for doing the campaign is just listening to these podcasts and then working that stuff into the campaign. And it is so fucking fun. So anyways, if you guys want to pop into that one, uh, always looking for guests. So that could be your intro into D and D it is extremely fun. And now that I've lost your entire podcast audience, we can talk about, uh, whatever you want. <laughs> now that sounds sick. Yeah. That sounds like a really uh, interesting angle. Yeah. It's, yeah. It is fun. And it's also, I don't know. It's just like D and D is so great. And I got Carlos got me into it and I feel like I didn't really know what gaming was until I started doing it. It's a, uh, it's a whole nother way of looking at like how you, play just like for fun it just like redefined what fun was for me so anyway um sorry <laughs> oh it's okay well, yeah that's actually the best kind of answer that uh, you can possibly hope for yeah okay it's, good. it's yeah, worse some... when someone goes yeah no not really and then we go uh, yeah. Oh, Mario okay. Kart. Uh, <laughs> yeah rainbow road you know rainbow road one yeah. rainbow road two the one where you jump off and you know there's this trick in it yeah that's really fun that's cool <laughs> yeah i don't know if that counts but we're, we're kind of generous with that question just <laughs> yeah, so yeah. the rest we try of the to conversation make people feel doesn't get tense even with non-gamers, we I'm treat, excited to do. We even ex- treat them as like human beings. You, well, you allow non-gamers on your podcast. That's like incredibly inclusive of you. Mm-hmm. We're we like to censor diverse tolerant. voices and other people's yeah. lived experiences. So you have to get all one the of the sides. people. One of the people who tried to give us the Rainbow Road uh, answer was was David Sirota. And no way! He, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's great. And that's. I'm trying to segue here. Another to, great segue. Oh my yeah, goodness. Yeah, thank you. I learned wow. from the best. I learned from Matt. <laughs> segue because hour. Because David uh, helped develop the story for Don't Look Up, which just came mm-hmm. out. And have you guys seen it? Mm-hmm. Have you guys both watched it? I have. Yes. Yeah. Rob, yeah. you're silent. Yeah, no, I did. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's, I, th- I thought it was great. Um, and if people haven't watched it, I would highly recommend it. It's a, it's a funny take on uh, American ignorance and especially the media's kind of just... Uh, proclivity to sensationalize stories and focus on things that don't really matter. Uh, and one of the one of the ways <clears throat> they the media was caricatured in this movie was that they kind of downplayed the severity or didn't believe it or tried to like make it fun and upbeat as this comet was careening toward the planet and threatened to wipe out all of civilization. And Matt, uh, when we talked about it last week, you had some interesting observations that I think would set up a larger conversation on how the media covers things like climate change uh, and also just kind of how 
we saw the media over the past year cover Republicans in the aftermath of January 6th, and now we're one year past that. So uh, I, I'm curious, both of you, what you thought of the movie, and also, Matt, I would love for our listeners to hear kind of your uh, dissection of how the media was caricatured in that movie. It, it makes sense to me. I'm glad the movie exists. I think it raises like a really huge question, which is what will happen if our media environment, if our just general environment um, doesn't change as like huge calamities continue to come. Um, so it's good that people are talking about it. any, no matter if it's like good, bad, cringy comedy, horror, uh, reality TV. Like I, I don't care. The more that people are aware that misinformation is a poison, I think the better. That's a really important topic and it kind of sits in the back of everything and isn't alarming. So I, for that reason, I'm I'm like very glad the movie exists. Like it, it, people talk about it, that's good. I thought the media portrayal was like pretty funny. Um, I think to me, it, it like it slightly missed what I consider the most dangerous part of how the news media treats these big issues. So in the movie, they like put a lot of emphasis on this, like Ariana Grande breakup. And it's like, Oh, there's a meteor headed to the planet that these scientists discover. And they're like, but first, like what's going on with this like huge Hollywood breakup, whatever. And that obviously makes the point that the media focuses on trivial bullshit when they should be focusing on like existential threats. Great. Got that. The point is taken. I think that is mostly true. Um, However, I think the real problem with not just climate change, but COVID and uh, like sedition is that our news media does cover those issues and they cover them pretty poorly. They give an outsized role to the people who are escalating those calamities, who are denying them. Um, For example, in climate change, we give a lot of airtime to climate deniers. Uh, For COVID, we give a lot of airtime to people who say the vaccines are going to turn you into like a turtle and and saying that COVID is a flu. Uh, Masks don't work. All of these really like not just dangerous things, but like they are the kind of the the people making our COVID environment real right now. We keep putting them on the air. I think like, you know, a few weeks ago, Ted Cruz was on CBS, like on Face the Nation. Like this, this is insane. Like this guy helped plan the January 6th attack and was like rooting for the overthrow of democracy. And he's just like on talking to Margaret Brennan about how like Democrats are ruining the country. So to me, the the media issue is that they give too much weight to the people who are causing the problems. And if a meteor were headed toward the earth, I think uh, in Don't Look Up, the media in that world would be saying, let's bring on the people who say there is no meteor. Um, and I guess that's more of a that's more realistic um, than what they were going for. But I don't think both yeah. of the like the Ariana Grande stuff is still really good to point out because they do that also. Um, but I just don't think that's the most important uh, criticism of our like general news environment. Yeah. Yeah. I thought overall it, it functioned really well just as kind of a piece of media criticism. Although, you know, maybe there's, there's things that could have been different or whatever, but one thing that I did, I mean, they, they kind of launched the movie with this, this kind of assault on the critics, which I think created kind of a backlash. And I thought it was kind of a weird way 
uh, on social media to kind of like get out and start promoting the movie when it was coming out mm-hmm. and suggesting that anyone who's criticizing the movie was like somehow <laughs> bad or corrupt. And that kind of created people who were like, okay, well, like now I don't even want to watch it. Um, <laughs> I know people there, I saw a lot of criticism too about being kind of like light on actual solutions. Like it was heavy on this kind of like heavy handed satire, which was kind of function of this media criticism without really proposing any concrete solutions for how these issues get fixed. <laughs> but to me, it's like, that's not really generally what the point of satire needs to be. It, it, what it does function as is something that calls attention to a really serious systemic problem in like Western media and how it functions, um, especially when it comes to this climate change stuff. And I think overall, like uh, it did it, you know, it's getting seen by people and it's like getting this, this message out there to people about this issue that exists. So I think in, in that way, it succeeded really, really well. Um, and I think the the broadness of the satire helped that, you know, people kind of pointed out that it was so obvious and so hit you over the head uh, in terms of the satire. But I mean, I think that's kind of essential. I think that's almost important at this point to try and like go that route and to ensure that these 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 ideas are kind of getting out there. And yeah, it doesn't really propose concrete solutions for how to fix it. But like that's not I don't think that's necessarily what the what the purpose of that kind of satire is supposed to be. I would love uh, if a, a post credit scene after every movie that's just like like a no <laughs> no parody, no satire, just like, hi, uh, I'm the person who made this movie. I just want you to know, here are the solutions. We need to um, break yeah. up the corporate media. We need to install uh, the following people. At, you know, like, uh, I don't think yeah. I don't think that's what I don't think that would fit very well. No, uh, I, I did you say did you watch past the credits for the end? Like the post oh, no. credit scene? Oh, I didn't actually. So I thought this was. This was really clever. So uh, if people have not watched it yet, maybe pause and watch it or skip ahead. Um, but there's a post credit scene where Jonah, uh, uh, what's his name? Jonah Hill's character Jonah Hill. climbs out of the rubble. Uh, he somehow survived because he was in that bunker. And mm-hmm. he's the only person left on Earth. And he looks around, and he immediately whips out his phone and starts, like, filming a video. Hey, yo, what's going on, guys? I'm the last person on Earth. Please be sure to like, comment, subscribe. And I thought that was a really funny detail, because also, like, there was also a nod to, like, how much of this is fueled by social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just kind of, like, interwoven in different montages. Like, it would just be kind of, like, screenshots of tweets, like, disbelieving that a comment even existed, or that, you know, people are lying to you or attacking the scientists. Mm-hmm. And he's just so committed to this, this you know, kind of like addiction to engagement and uh, uh, his personal brand that even <laughs> even still, I thought that was a really funny detail. Uh, and that, I think, reflects, they didn't get into it specifically, but I think it reflects the way, uh, specifically Facebook, uh, really fuels a lot of this, and especially with January 6th, but uh, to an extent, some climate denial, how these things just kind of fester. And when they shifted their algorithm a couple of years ago to focus on groups, that's when things really exploded uh, because you had these kind of unmoderated spaces where people could just whip themselves into a frenzy, share things that weren't true. Other people would just, you know, kind of gullibly uh, believe them and, and, and take them uh, to heart. And here we are with like one of the most toxic platforms uh infecting the minds of millions and millions of americans and people around the world uh we've seen like violence and genocide carried out because of facebook and as we thought a couple months ago that like facebook was really gonna you know feel the burn when whistleblowers blowers started speaking out they rebranded changed it to meta and now all the news coverage about the company is just wow they're getting into the metaverse metaverse." and like nobody cares anymore (laughs) yeah i think that we just collectively moved on I think as it relates to um, climate change specifically, a really harmful side effect of, and this is bridging 
climate change in January 6th in an expert way that only I could do. And that's why I'm here. Uh, a really that's harmful why. thing is the lionization of Liz Cheney as the like democracy hero because yeah. she's she broke ranks with all the like brainwashed psycho Republicans who are like, January 6th was amazing. And she's like, no, it wasn't. The election was real. Donald Trump lost. And we need to expose what happened on January 6th. Obviously, all of that is true. But as a result, and this is because there are no other Republicans left doing like Adam Kinzinger. Sure, he's not even in Congress anymore. Like Liz Cheney is the only one uh, kind of standing up for what the right thing is. That makes everyone in the media say Liz Cheney is like like build a statue to this person she yeah. her 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 crime was to tell the truth <sighs> she is a brave warrior like this it, it kind of like overflow this like overcompensating for how horrible she is on climate change which is she is a climate denier she is like one of the worst climate deniers and by virtue of building her up as a january 6th hero the media is making a very i don't think this is unconscious this is a very conscious decision to not talk about any other thing she's done like the fact that she like loves guns and like hates gun control and after school shooting she's like i don't want to do anything or after like a huge climate report comes out she'll give the opinion of like actually like climate change is not real or whatever like i remember years ago she was doing an event with dick cheney her dad and like someone asked them about like what are you going to do about climate change and they both looked at each other and laughed and they were like nothing <laughs> like what do you think we are yeah. so cool. like the idea that this republican is now being uh heralded by the mainstream news media because of her stance on january 6th i think to me indicates like years from now when we actually uh, are seeing the very physical effects of climate change on a mass scale we are going to be leaning into like Liz Cheney and it's going to be catastrophic. And that is climate change is arguably a bigger issue than January 6th. It's just like we don't see like, you know, tsunamis hitting the coast right now. But when that happens, are people going to be like, oh, man, well, I mean, we already are seeing the catastrophic effects of it. I mean, just like some of the events that have been happening over the last year in B.C., for example, the wildfires. Uh, the massive flooding, like we are already seeing these catastrophic effects, which is mm -hmm. like it is mm -hmm. one of the one of the sort of uh, really odd um, the odd effects of kind of living through this is you see these things really start to happen. These things that we were told, you know, weren't supposed to be a part of our, our our lives for decades and decades, really starting to happen, and you still see the media kind of focusing on this other other stuff that's less important and you know mentioning Liz Cheney I think is really important in the way that the you know media have held her up as this kind of you know altruistic uh, figure or someone that should be liked and respected as part of the Republican Party or Dick Cheney I mean like Dick Cheney literally <laughs> is that you saw that whole situation the other day where him and Liz were like in the chamber when they were you know having holding this event and you had all the Democrats rushing over to shake his hand and stuff and you have this I, this kind of like this narrative about Dick Cheney forming like you know I, I may not have agreed with everything Dick Cheney did but <laughs> at least he didn't try to steal elections and stuff this is a man who literally oversaw like quite literally a stolen election uh, in 2000 <laughs> And so that is just complete, completely being whitewashed. And like, right. that's the kind of, like you're pointing out, that's the really dangerous thing about this moment is that uh, for as, as extreme as the right is getting uh, the, in America, it's providing cover for all these very also dangerous and bad people to kind of rehab their images. And you have people in the political class and people in the media 
just falling over themselves to help help participate that with that image rehabilitation project and it's a really dangerous situation they love to do it they love to take these really bad people and just say what if they're good now what if none of the bad things were real because the only thing that matters is the present and there's no context for these people i think it would be so ballsy of any of the tv journalists or print journalists who do interviews with uh, like live interviews or whatever with uh, liz cheney to be like can we pause for a minute and like just talk about your climate denialism because like you're wrong about that like why can't they do that i do not understand she does so many interviews she does press conferences like why can't they do that is it because they don't care is it because they know it would like antagonize her i i honestly like to me as someone who used to be a journalist i would be really interested in doing that selfishly because it'd be like maybe i could get a drudge link out of it or something like <laughs> and someone would tweet about it i don't know like what's stopping them i i don't know it kind of befuddles me it's all of them it, it, you see like trump's one of the comms officials i can't remember her name but she just got picked up at cnn after a, a short stint at the hill Alyssa Alyssa farah is that who you're talking about yeah who was like like yeah. gleefully celebrating uh kind of a, uh, the obstruction of information at the onset of the pandemic and mm-hmm. they, you remember that tweet where she's like oh we like to keep people on their toes it's like this yeah, is she a was fucking she, game she was trump's communications director at the beginning of covid and through the end of of the trump administration like she was a bad person she hid information yeah. she is responsible as as everyone is in that communications office for the spread of covid in the country and now she's a cnn contributor I can't. Yeah, I can't believe all that, the rats like, jumped no ship at the this. very end. Right. A couple of them got book deals, and everyone's like, "Oh, well, thank you for standing up for democracy." Like Bolton, <laughs> obviously one of like the worst foreign policy figures in the last several decades. Uh, you know, stays on for for a while. The guy wants, you know, he hasn't met a war he hasn't liked or an invasion he hasn't liked. And then at the very end, writes a book with the Hamilton reference as the title. And everyone's like, oh, thank you, sir. Thank you for your patriotism. <laughs> come on. Well, How do you I'm, not see through this? This is I such also, a cynical play. Also, like, I mean, come on. The news media loves wars. Like, that really that really fits, mm-hmm. I think, with, like, they would be quick to celebrate Bolton as, like, a truth teller and a war guy. Like, okay. Um, yes, please. What else do you got? <laughs> yeah. They, One is, it, like, the image rehabilitation of George W. Bush speaks to that as well, where they're like, yeah, it's the same kind of thing with Dick Cheney, where, you know, I didn't like him at the time, but, you know, he stands up for democracy. He's <laughs> he's stood up for the for these democratic values. And just this, this massive illegal war in which millions of people were killed and tens of millions of people were just displaced giant one of the worst human rights atrocities of the modern era just kind of gets swept under the rug like ah well you know mistakes happen mistakes even, you know even on things, s- things can happen even on like the social <laughs> issues that we now consider to be like like journalists are safe to say like it's okay to be gay like dick yeah. cheney weaponized gay marriage in 2004 to win an election and make it like an evangelical like a horrible thing and i guess that didn't happen either like none of the things that these people did ever really happened as long as they can come out now and be like actually sir donald trump mr president sir you did lose the election like oh yeah. <laughs> all is forgiven <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um and you mentioned this earlier but one of the figures that that kind of gets a pass on some of this stuff is ted cruz and he's been through the ringer in right-wing media because he uh, initially called january 6th 
uh, an act of terrorism and then basically went and begged for forgiveness on Tucker's show <laughs> this week. Have you been following this kind of like Ted Cruz like flip-flop show? I'm I'm so uh bothered by this because on the one hand, January 6th was a terrorist attack. Like it actually was. And I hate that Ted Cruz said something that like I might also say that makes me like so uncomfortable in my own skin. And the I have to like do like nightly reflections and say like, okay, Ted Cruz said we will not go gently into that good night right before January 6th. He called for an insurrection. He is responsible for what happened. He is not the same as me. I am not Ted Cruz. <laughs> it's very it's it's very awkward. Uh I think a lot of analysis has been made about this already that like is is basically what I would say, which is that like this just shows the state of the right wing media and like Tucker Carlson's influence over um, the way, the direction the party is going that like someone like Ted Cruz responsible for January 6th, horrible person, uh, like absolutely like mendacious brute who will throw his kids under the bus for whatever reason is has to go grovel like in the saddest like Anything that makes me feel bad for Ted Cruz, I'm like, this sucks. Like, I don't want to feel bad for this guy. He's a horrible guy. And Tucker Carlson is now doing this, like, I hate to say this, too. Tucker Carlson did, like, I mean, first of all, he's a liar. He's wrong about everything. He's, like, a a purveyor of misinformation. But his interview with Ted Cruz was, like, I'm not going to take that for an answer. And he was, like, whoa, whoa, wait. You say this. You're a Harvard guy. You're a a debater. Like, I know that your words are deliberate. So if you said this more than once, doesn't that mean you believe it? Because this was Ted Cruz tried to say it was, like, a poor choice of words. And it's, like, fuck. Like, that's true. Like, you're right, Tucker. And you're, like, not letting him off the hook for that. Why am I watching, like, a good interview with a person I hate conducted by a person I hate? And I'm like, this is one of the best things on TV I've ever seen. I can't <laughs> fucking stand it. Like, why can't real journalists do interviews like that? It kills me. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I've been uh, following it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, okay. What are your feelings on that? Uh, Rob, what 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 are your take? What's your takeaway from this? Well, I do. I mean, I do think it's very funny how like there's been this kind of roller coaster when it comes to conservatives talking about this, where they all like they they you know it wasn't just Donald Trump and his few people, but it was like this whole movement after the election to be like, no, the election's being stolen. It was in no uncertain terms. They're all saying this. Um, they're all saying like we're we are literally going to storm the Capitol on January sixth. Like this was like an open thing that they were all talking about in the media. There was big bus tours being organized all these conservative influencers talking about it you know they were all very clear about what was what was going to happen and then so this this day comes and the thing that they all said repeatedly was going to happen it does in fact happen and these people do get somehow get past the capitol police which is a whole separate thing that you know i'm not, <laughs> not sure about how that was allowed to happen but anyway so then this very funny thing happened where like then everyone gets mad and then everyone's mad about it and then so then you have all these people trying to distance themselves from it being like whoa 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 no i never said you know we were going to storm the capitol we just said we were going to go have a rally even though you know it's it's all very clear that that's what happened and then so like the the funniest example of this was like the, the, the I don't know if you saw that Kevin Sorbo tweet he was like history is being made it's like the new it's the new declaration of independence it's the new July 4th and then like while everything's happening and everyone's starting to get mad about it it's like well no uh, mate, you need to cooperate with the police and and then it, it devolves into like this was actually Antifa doing this this is undercover <laughs> Antifa agents that were doing it and then so as, as the year has gone by and it's been spun and it's kind of been more acceptable to again say actually it was fine what happened and, and in fact good so that's all of 
of a sudden going away and now they're back to kind of lionizing these people that they immediately threw under the bus. So it's funny seeing people like Ted Cruz who have tried to kind of ride these waves of like just saying the thing that's going to make the least amount of people mad and then having all this all this contradictory statements shown right in front of him and having to kind of squirm his way out of it. That's been kind of an enjoyable thing, but it's been it's been definitely funny to watch these conservatives sort of go on this on this ride over the last year of of trying to thread this needle of of you know we support it, now we don't support it and now we do again and then try to like still be taken seriously afterwards. Do you remember the clip of the um woman coming out of the Capitol who was maced and she was like screaming and she was like I just got maced and like the person's like why? She's like we're storming the Capitol. It's a revolution. Like to me <laughs> that is that is kind of every Republican who was like yeah, we're doing it and then like they get slammed for doing it and they're like oh, what the hell? Like I thought this was 1776 and now like for a, a brief period of time as you said, it was like okay, this this has no place. Like violence has no place. There we need to condemn like whatever and then like i don't know 18 minutes later they were like you know what like it was the right thing to do we should probably just do it every time now and i think like as we're going to see like they will just overturn an election in 2024 uh without violence like they'll have the house of representatives and can easily do it um and literally nobody is stopping them so well that's that's true leadership by joe biden he's going to ensure that no such event occurs in the future (laughs) by just rolling up the red carpet for the next couple of elections (laughs) to ensure that they can just do things it would completely be by the so, books. It would be so funny if he were like, I will intentionally lose this election so that the Republicans cannot overturn it. <laughs> like yeah. democracy <laughs> must be prevailed. <laughs> oh my god. Uh but there were some monuments erected in New York to honor uh, the figures, the heroes of January 6th. Is that right, Matt? Could you tell us about that? <laughs> I'm happy to. Yes, The Daily Show uh, put up these heroes of the freedom surrection is what we uh, what we called it. <laughs> um, it actually started as a... We were talking about like how COVID has been uh, turned into this like huge misinformation like warp of of like what covid it was it was it a big deal was it bad who did it and now like the way that republicans talk now it's like covid is not real and also joe biden did it so we wanted to do like um a heroes of the we called it the pandemic um as like pandemic but it's dumb and we wanted to do a monuments for that ass. and yeah we really did we really <laughs> got the pandemic uh and then that that turned into like when january 6th um was like getting bigger and bigger after january 6th i think we were like well, actually we should do it for this actual failed coup so the monuments um we put up in uh like right outside the Flatiron building in um the public plaza uh in new york and it's literally like nothing on these monuments is false it is it is a tribute in a kind of like the way that you know the confederacy loves their like civil war heroes um to the people who try to overthrow the country and failed so we have like trump giuliani cruz josh hawley our wonderful white supremacist king uh tucker carlson steve bannon lauren bobert and of course um marjorie taylor green uh and i think it got like a lot of attention on social media and like some write-ups and stuff and like we're really like happy about that and i think um it makes sense to me that like people had the reaction they did because these were like (laughs) these are people who led a violent insurrection and like if you know 
if a if a general in the south uh led a violent insurrection and lost and they put up a statue to him why can't we do it for these people so unfortunately <laughs> the woke right-wing mob uh wants to tear these monuments down now because they don't respect our heritage and i oh, think cancel culture. That's, it's frankly yep. it's frankly inappropriate and um you know next thing you know they're they're not going to want us to talk about january 6th uh, in our textbooks and I think that's really unfair. I think it's a slippery slope. Um, what ha- what's what's <laughs> happening in this country? <laughs> yeah, they want to they want to censor our education. They want to, uh, you know, control what we can learn. There's no other way we could learn about this than through these monuments. We have to keep them up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like, like, and every time you see a monument, you're like, what was it that Marjorie Taylor Greene said? Was it her who she was like, if I were a black person and I saw a monument of of like a Civil War hero, I would feel proud because of like how far Jesus I've come Christ. or something like that. I I don't know if it was, I think I think it was her. I can't remember if it was her, but some Republican said that. Like, yeah, okay, yeah. I guess that's how I feel about these people. Then, okay, <laughs> <laughs> man, I'm wondering. Like whether you've had any any like how you feel about sort of threading the needle between talking about January sixth and taking it seriously, um, mm-hmm. when it's it's kind of become more difficult to do so. I mean, it's become kind of popular online, especially to kind of just hand wave it away and be like, oh, it wasn't a big deal. It was just funny. And I, you know, we we tried, I think, to have a little nuance when we talked about this on the show and by treating it seriously. Uh, to talk about the ways that the the right, uh, not even as an individual event, but as in a like a part of a timeline of the extreme right in America getting more and more radicalized by these conspiracy theories, more willing to like engage in in kind of violence in order to uh, enact these kind of undemocratic goals, while also acknowledging that you know it was on its surface quite silly at the same time I, I the enduring image of that the maga gam gam that i've talked about a number of times just like waving her little flag in the in the u.s capitol building it was just like oh, a wait, bizarre I'm sorry. moment i'm sorry i have a correction it breaks my is heart that disinformation that is disinformation that oh, was man. at some like wisconsin lobby day or something like okay. that. that was not at the capitol well here i am doing it myself you've just been corrected yeah. apologize Okay, I apologize to our viewers for the for insulting the the maga gam gam, um, but overall, still, it was it was kind of like preposterous and silly on one hand, while also being like a, this a potential sign of a sort of dangerous turn for the right at the other at the other hand, and in the way that it's been like politicized by Democrats as well, it's become kind of like impossible to talk about it with nuance without sounding like you're one of these liberals that really supports Liz and Dick Cheney, or you had infamously the other day. Pelosi and the Democrats inviting like Lin Manuel Miranda in to do the, the like Hamilton song <laughs> to commemorate it. It's becoming like difficult to talk about with being, being without being lumped into one of these categories. Um, have you found that difficult to thread that needle to talk about the potential like dangers of that situation while also not being like not being finding yourself going down that kind of path? It's weird, right? Because there are so many images from that day that are like really dumb and silly and then there are also like horrible like visceral videos of like essentially like the murder of police officers and like it's it was bloody and violent and awful and racist and like a nightmare and then there's also the guy carrying the podium smiling and it's like how do these things all exist in this like really like nightmarish world um i i don't i don't know like there are parts of it that you can make fun of because it was so stupid and also the reaction to it 
um, on the right, especially not just the Lin Manuel Miranda on the left, which is like we're just we're cringe. Um, but like <laughs> on the, on the right, the way that they try to revise it, that's really funny to me. Um, but at the same time, I do think it is like the seriousness of it is not just like how. Uh, four police officers died or four people died including police officers and like which by the way is the same number of people who died in Benghazi um, which like the right wing said was like the most important thing ever so like there's a level of serious nair there but also the way that it's obviously a harbinger of what to what's to come is even more serious so like if we're treating the end of democracy as serious which I think we should then January 6th does deserve to be um, talked about in a way that's like, this was just the beginning. And I think like when it happened, a lot of people were, were saying, this is what happens when you let someone like Donald Trump take over the party. And I was thinking at the time, like, no, this is like the beginning. And what's going to happen is they're going to do it correctly the next time. <laughs> so I think that's the serious angle of it. Um, but yeah, of course, like the other side of that coin is like, we should be making fun and and bullying like neo-Nazis all the time because that's what works like getting under their skin and and shaming them and like dunking on them is like I don't know I don't have power like I have Twitter so like I'm gonna dunk on people and like hope that they get mad about it like I don't really know what to do other than like you can only phone bank so many times for Democrats and, and this feels like a I don't know it's like a productive outlet to be like uh, Madison Cawthorn like saying still saying like the election was stolen and we need to like overturn the next one whatever like yeah we should be dunking on this guy or like Lauren Boebert who is a absolutely crazy psycho like these are the people that you know how the right wing like is really good at picking the people in the Democratic Party who they know that like the moderate group will hate like AOC Maxine Waters basically any like non-white woman they can be like look this is the face of the left I think we should be doing that to the right and saying like this is the face of the right and when we do it it won't be a lie because they're they are those leaders like Kevin McCarthy is Marjorie Taylor Greene they believe the same things with like a few exceptions and he takes his cues from her so like why don't we have that level of messaging and communication because I think that would be effective when you see what these people are talking about openly it's really crazy Donald Trump left a, me a video message for Ashley Babbitt like on her on the the a woman who died in the insurrection because she was trying to insurrect. And she's like a, a martyr now on the right. She's a hero, even though she was storming the Capitol. And he left a video message on her birthday for her family. And like that to me is an endorsement of what they did. And this was like barely covered by the press. It was like a few hours of like people of journalists on Twitter being like, this is really interesting. And like, the next day, it was practically gone. That should have been huge, uh, like, not just like a huge story, but like, this is the tone for which the party needs to be covered. The leader of the Republican Party endorsed the, uh, the, the, violent, uh, the violence of the insurrection in a video message, 
And here's the reaction from other Republicans that we asked. But like that did not happen. You didn't have that moment of like asking Mitch McConnell, what's your response to Donald Trump endorsing this or whatever? They just didn't do that. And I think there's a real disconnect there um, in, in the way that the left is covered versus the right. Yeah. I mean, it also speaks to the level of which that like there's been serious consequences for people that took part in this in this uh, January 6th Capitol riot. Well, there's been basically zero consequences for any of the actual powerful people that helped organize it and instigate these people who many of whom seem like kind of like mentally unstable. And, you know, I almost feel bad for some of these folks that like got hoodwinked into participating in this and then got completely abandoned by the political and media leaders that then like completely threw them under the bus and then used them to kind of like fundraise and and pretend to care about afterwards while there's been no actual consequences for any of them um yeah it seems also like one of the one of the troubling things about the whole day as well which is that you know i remember around the time that the election was happening it seemed like the idea that trump was going to contest the election results was always like out there i think that's always what everyone expected to happen and i think one of the main reasons that this thing didn't work out is because he didn't quite have the backing from the republican political and media establishment which i don't know if that would have been the case if the election had been closer you know if it had come down to one state Mm-hmm. I think there would have been a lot more willingness by people in like the Republican Party establishment and in the media establishment also to go all in on this and go all in in this like the election was stolen uh, idea and then potentially like actually have the consequence that they wanted, which was to overturn the results. Mm-hmm. It's just like it was a little bit too far away for them to kind of put their necks out like that. And they kind of went ahead with the same strategy of insisting this at the same time. Um, and that's what led to this kind of this kind of dichotomy between this sort of Republican establishment and the more like the more Trumpist uh, elements of it. But I don't think that's necessarily what would we would have seen if the election had been closer. OK, and that's something that I think has been underreported as well. I think one of the retcons that's happened what is that a lot of journalists now accept. And this is not me just um, musing. This is like I've heard from. I can't obviously ugh, I'm such a hypocrite. I can't say who, but like very like high up recognizable journalists um have told me that like there was a legitimacy to challenging the results in the initial stages through the courts. Like that was like within Trump's right. And I think that is so insane because when it was happening all of us felt the same thing. Like you guys on the, you and me on the left and journalists were all on this of the same opinion, which was like, this is nuts. There is no validity to challenging this election. Like it's, it was a blowout. It is over. And Donald Trump is clearly trying to overturn it by any means possible. He's doing it through the courts now because that's his like first thing, but that doesn't mean it's legitimate. And obviously, like the media has to cover the court stuff because it's uh, tangible news, and that's fine. But there was like a tone to it that was like Donald Trump lost again, like a court, like ruled against her, like 60 courts or whatever. And that's all very well and good. Since that has happened, and that was in like what, like December or, or yeah, like November, December, and then part of January. Since that's happened, I think this feeling of like, well, what happened before January 6th was a legitimate way to contest the results. But January 6th was was too far. We we can't have that. And that's not true. Using abusing the courts that way is not legitimate. And hoping that it goes to the Supreme Court, which was stacked by Donald Trump to give him the election is also not legitimate. And I think it's dangerous the way that we might look back at those initial few weeks and those first couple of months when we were all like kind of very happy that Donald Trump was 
not the winner of the election, but also pretty nervous about what was going on and viewing this whole um, like the way that Republicans would be like, I don't I, I don't object to the, you know, Mike Rounds, who's a, a senator nobody knows, who said it's legitimate for Donald Trump to exercise every right he has to challenge the election. Like that is a seditionist comment that is traitorous. I know I sound like, you know, a, a, a lefty like resistor right now, but like that is really bad and awful. And that senator should be barred from public discourse for supporting the big lion overturning the and trying to overturn the election. Instead, what happened to Mike Rounds was that because he later decided not to object to the certification of the votes, like, oh my God, what a fucking low bar. Because he decided, no, it was legitimate. He's now one of these like lesser known democracy heroes. And he was on uh, ABC's This Week today to talk about January 6th, to talk about the election, as if he didn't have any part in pushing the big lie. Obviously, he was also on Meet the Press because Meet the Press puts all these people on. But like the way that he represents these kind of like, you know, Bill Cassidy, he's another senator. Um, Some of these like uh, like Tim Scott, who denied that Biden won the election for like uh, eight weeks. There's a lot of these senators in the Republican Party who were not like Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, who were not pushing for for like a physical insurrection, but still supported this illegitimate effort to overturn the election in the court that have they have all been granted a pass by by the mainstream media. And that to me is like extremely bad because you're taking something that should be viewed as illegitimate and making it legitimate. Imagine if just one senator after the election had been like, I don't think Don- I think I think Donald Trump should challenge the results like we would cast that person aside and be like, this person's a psycho. But because all of the Republicans were saying it, we just accept it as like, well, no, it's it's part of the process and you have to go through the courts. And I think that's uh, kind of nuts. I think there's you could distinguish between, you know, challenging or calling for a review of results. Like if it's like within a recount threshold or if it's a tight race, um, you know, that that happens in elections. But what the Trump campaign and what Republicans at large push were, you know, baseless allegations of voter fraud, uh, switching votes, uh, ballot harvesting, all these types of like mm-hmm. sensationalized and ludicrous claims that they mounted these challenges on. So I think it's important and you did that, but I think it's for people to understand like there's a, there's a difference. You're not saying you can't just challenge any result of the election. It's just that when you're saying that like and they even like there were some instances instances where they singled out like random people like polling workers and blaming them and basically accusing them of committing fraud mm-hmm. which led to like untold harassment of random innocent unsuspecting people and there was recently even a story where uh somebody who had some like weird connection to Kanye went to somebody's house mm-hmm. and and tried to like pressure them and strong arm them into admitting to committing fraud and Mm -hmm. saying that they were going to you know be in the news and be charged with things if they didn't within like 48 hours like these are the types of things that 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 the challenges relied on it wasn't just they were exercising their legal uh you know whatever authority or ability these were baseless sensational claims this is not 500 votes in a county in florida that 
uh, it's unclear because of a, a loose piece of paper who they voted for, and we have to go through by hand and determine voter intent. It's not even close to what happened in 2000. This was Donald Trump saying there were ghosts who voted and corpses came out of the ground and cast 80 ballots each for Joe Biden, and then uh, forcing the media to sanitize that with this language of like, President Trump is contesting the election results. <laughs> like he really benefits, especially in hindsight, from this uh, this like gross cleaning of of what was really going on. And also, this is not like <laughs> the people at Trump rallies don't care about like the nuance of the court system. They literally just want Trump to be president, and they're like, "Yeah, let's overturn it." Like we want to throw Biden out. Like they're not like, "Oh my gosh, there's so many uh, court cases that we need to once once we go through this process or whatever." Like no, they're just like, "Make Donald Trump president, please." Like that's what we want. Some of them do say that, but then whenever inevitably when these processes don't work and don't give them the results they want, they kind of just hand wave that away and be like, ah, but still, but still no. I would encourage I would encourage everyone to watch uh, Jordan Klepper's interviews with um, Trump supporters at some of their like stop the steal rallies that are like great for not just comedy, but like showing how bad the logic is and how quickly these people are are put in a position of contradicting themselves. And it's very, very satisfying Um, and really hard to do like the way that Jordan does it. But when you see just how many people are believing this stuff just because they want to believe it, like they don't have any idea what like dominion voting actually is they just hear it from tucker carlson and they're like sure whatever another element of to it has been just this this meme that has really taken hold on the right through uh, after this process too is just like delegitimizing and the idea of mail-in ballots like just taking the idea that that's that's evidence for the fraud in and of itself the <laughs> fact that there's mail-in ballots that went in the in the direction that they didn't want and just especially during this global health crisis, which it was, of course, like necessitated people to vote that way. Um, and just creating this idea that all of these all of this, the the, the voting that took place by mail and ballots is just somehow just doesn't count. Um, There's a real dangerous part of this also, which is that. Um, oh, you guys still there? Yeah. Yep. Oh, I just heard a voice. Um, oh, that there, was Elise uh, popping back in. I oh, think. oh, oh, OK. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a, a, a dangerous part of this also, which is um, a lot of the Republicans who I think the media has determined are not big liars and, and they can come on and talk about stuff. Um, I'm thinking specifically of like Tate Reeves, uh, the governor of Mississippi, um, is a mail-in ballot like truther. Like he thinks mail-in ballots are voter fraud. And he said that. And that's that's crazy that's bad that is a version of the big lie but because he's not physically saying donald trump won the election and joe biden stole it from him he's kind of like allowed into the discourse and pushing this like mail-in voter fraud garbage so that's really bad because that means that's that has become like a salient thing to talk about when there's like no examples of voter fraud at all except for like 14 cases of it in the villages of people trying to vote for Donald Trump more than once. Like it's not legitimate to give these people a platform to say that mail-in ballots are somehow delegitimate or, or are a democratic conspiracy or whatever. And a lot of the people who like you might at first blush think, Oh, this guy thinks the election was real. He's a Republican. He's one of the good ones. Wait until they talk about mail-in votes and how they're trying to like curtail that and how they don't want um, ballot drop boxes. Like they, 
then you start to realize, no, this is all part of the same conspiracy to stop Democrats from voting. And that's like the the worst thing you can have in a crumbling democracy is a party taking away the right to vote and the media kind of accepting it as just like, ah, oh, this is just like the way that the process works. And it might it might just be a little bit different than what you are used to. Well, Matt, I know I know you don't have too much time left, but I mean, this is, I think this is a good question to leave it on for both of you. Actually, I'm interested in, in hearing uh, answers to this, which is that you know, as we know, Democrats have like proposed an actual uh, legislation to ensure that people have their voting rights intact and that they won't be able to succumb to these sort of anti-democratic efforts to in, to restrict people's ability to vote, and we've seen throughout the last year, kind of an unwillingness to uh, break these kind of norms, whether it comes to like the Senate parliamentarian or the filibuster or changing the Supreme Court around in an effort to actually pass their agenda, which would help them, you know, not lose further elections. Um, And now you have in the last couple of weeks, Chuck Schumer saying, we are going to uh, possibly change these rules about the filibuster and what that means and how many votes you need in order to pass legislation in order to get through this voting rights legislation. So I'm just wondering, given the events of the last year, uh, for both of you, what's your confidence level that they actually are going to go through with uh, like drastically changing the rules in an effort to pass this agenda and whether whether uh, that's going to be extended to other parts of their agenda, which has completely stalled out and is possibly failing at this point. I'll let Jordan go first because... Um... I want to react to what he's going to say. <laughs> I mean, I don't see Mansion and Cinema getting out of the way. Like, I think they just, their roles are to obstruct and block everything until their terms are up and then they're going to have cushy jobs waiting for them uh, outside of Congress. I think that's, I don't, I think it's, <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know if I want to say it's good that they're saying it and talking about it because I just don't think anything's going to change. I think Cinema will posture as caring about these issues, but will insist that we need to do it the right way. And she doesn't want to um, be the person responsible for nuking the filibuster, at least on this issue. But like separately from that, I mean, they're also in the way of reconciliation and everything in that, that with a ton of climate spending, with a ton, we're seeing now child uh, tax credits expire because they didn't renew them. And people who had, uh, you know, benefited from that last year are going to see a higher tax bill this year. Um, across the board, I think there's a ton of unaddressed issues that those two senators are standing in the way of, and we're not going to see any real change. Oh my God, my fire alarm's going off in my building. <laughs> well, I'll I'd take it from you. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, the Secret Service. You I'll said mute, too much. Sorry. Yeah, I you know. said too much. You're being silent. You're going to shut down. <laughs> that's actually the that's the decorum alarm going off. And anytime yeah. decorum is violated, uh, it must be sorry. Um, norms. Well, I was, preserve them. I was going to say nothing. Very few things make me happier than when a norm is breached. And the idea of of uh, reforming the filibuster just to make it so that everyone can vote is the greatest norm respecting or norm disrespecting move, which I think makes it impossible that it will happen. I think the like the weird like establishment lovers, institution respecters, like they love norms so much. The way that like when Biden appeared at the Kennedy Center honors and like these these like people lost their minds they were like it's been so long since a president has granted this institution <laughs> his, his the, the gift of his existence or whatever like come on 
what year are you living in? So I don't, I think they love the institution too much to do anything because it's, it's like for them, it's almost like Donald Trump didn't exist for four years. Donald Trump was not like a norm breaker. He was a norm obliterator. And the way that like his atrocities were framed as like another norm busted by Donald Trump, like that is the big crime. And I think the, the establishment Dems kind of are of the same mind. That's like, the Senate is the greatest deliberative body or whatever garbage they tell themselves. Yeah. So I, I think it, it has to be seen through that respect. And I think they've kind of said as much. I don't, I don't really believe Chuck Schumer because there was like this one moment where Trump was holding up everything um, over DACA and Schumer was like, we are negotiating with Donald Trump and we believe the president is acting in good faith. And I was like, you idiot. <laughs> Have you met this Come guy? Come on, Chuck. <laughs> yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> so I think um, it's like, great. It's aspirational, but like the norms must be preserved. Yeah. Well, and this is always the moment where I ask myself, like, are, are they being hamstrung by these these kind of uh, right-wing Democrats, or, or do they just want the credit for saying they want to do these big things without actually having to do the things? <laughs> exactly. That's always the question I end up asking myself, and more and more I find myself leaning towards uh, answer number two. But Time will tell, I guess, right? We'll yeah, be, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Matt, uh, thanks very much for joining the program. It was really great to, to speak to you. Um, yeah, about I, all this I, stuff. Took, I took off like a solid hour of tweeting to do this. So I really hope you guys are okay. respectful of like my Absolutely. sacrifice. We really appreciate yeah, it. Thank you for thank your you. service. Thank you so much. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. Um, no, thanks for thanks for letting me talk about the things that I obviously am obsessed about. Um, and of course, yeah. Video games, D&D and uh, <laughs> Tucker Carlson. <laughs> yeah. Do you just want to let everyone know where they can find you, uh, find you online if they want to get more of these, more of these takes? Yeah. Um, just go, just go to my Twitter at Matt Negrin. And then please, if you haven't um, check out the, the daily show monuments thing I was talking about, if you just search daily show monuments, uh, the hashtag on social media, it'll come up. Um, and uh that there's a lot there's a lot there i think it like there's a few good instagram stories of that also that are really funny um so yeah cool thank you guys yeah it's been a pleasure to talk to you and we'll we'll talk to you later take care awesome see ya thank you for listening to the insurgents please remember to subscribe over at theinsurgents.substack.com find the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps And please remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's very helpful and we appreciate it a lot. But please, again, don't mention Ken Klippenstein in the review. He is banned from the show. It's a lifetime ban. So please do not mention him in the review. And we'll be back later this week with more of the content that you know and love. Goodbye.